Everybody, welcome to This Good Word, episode 10. My name's Steve, and the word this week is fear. I want to talk about fear, that giant that paralyzes us, knocks us down, and keeps us from love and joy and freedom and all that good stuff. I want to give you my definition of fear, and I want to talk about why it has such a hold on us, so many of us. I want to talk about some unhelpful responses to fear, and then talk about some ways that we can transform fear into something else entirely. We're going to talk about the science of fear. We're going to get into neural pathways and the amygdala hijack and all kinds of good stuff like that. This is a big one. And so I'm excited to talk about it. And on just on the front end, I want to remind you that we are in it together on this one. This is something that I face in a big way, and uh, I think if we can find a way to transform this part of our lives, we can walk more and more into joy and community and freedom and love, and uh, we can transform the world around us, and I really mean that, one drip at a time. Before we get into that, though, some shout-outs. I want to say hi to some new listeners in Korea, in Moldova, in Romania, and in Madagascar. Uh, we have watched some movies in our house <laughs> regarding Madagascar, and I know that has nothing to do with your fine country, but uh, I welcome to this good word. Welcome. I uh, want to give a shout out to the folks in California. You are the, um, the biggest state to listen outside of Minnesota, where I live, and that just warms my heart because you are, f- I am from California, grew up in Oxnard, which is in Ventura County, just a little ways north of L.A., So hi to all of you out there. If any of you are listening in Oxnard or Ventura, Camarillo, anywhere around there, would love, would love, love, love an email. Uh, A shout out from you, steve at steveweens.com. Would love to hear from you. And a huge shout out to my friends from Boston, Lee and Mary Mallett, who flew from Boston to Minnesota to hang out with our funky little church community, Genesis Covenant Church, for our church vacation over last weekend. You inspire us. You help us love better. Uh, you are in it with us. You are us. So yay to Lee and Mary. Uh, and I want to remind you guys uh, that I have a book coming out. It's called Beginnings. And in it, I trace uh, the seven days of creation found in the Genesis poem, not at all as an argument that they're literal, uh, you know, 24-hour periods or anything like that. I use it as a way to say that I think creation keeps happening over and over and over again. And the seven days of creation in that beautiful lyric, that beautiful poem, can offer a kind of process that we can follow in our own becoming because we are verbs. We're not nouns. We're in motion. We're becoming. We're not what we were yesterday. We're not what we were last week. And we will not uh, be what we are at 100 uh, that we were at age 80. So you can pick up, you can pre-order that book on my show notes, steveweens.com. It's coming out January 1st by the good people at Nav Press in Tyndale, and I could not be more excited about it. On that note, I'm having a book release party on Friday night, December 11th in St. Paul, Minnesota at Awaken Community, my friend Micah's church. It's a beautiful old Catholic church remade. It's going to be good food, good drink, lots of readings. Joel Hansen, my brother-in-law and former PFR lead singer, is going to provide some music. It's going to be a blast. Please join me. 
There are 250 seats available. It's limited seating. Uh, more than half of those seats are already gone. So please RSVP by going to stevebeans.com on my show notes. Just click on the link there and it will take you to an, an Eventbrite site and the tickets are free, but we uh, we are requiring an RSVP because it will hopefully sell out and I think it will. So check that out on my show notes, steveweens.com. I think that's it for in the way by way of preamble. Now let's get into fear. So a few days ago, I posted on Instagram and Facebook this question, what does fear do to you? How does it show up in your life? What kind of effect does it have on you and what do you do about it? So my friend Mike, this wise friend in my life said this, fear makes us run back into slavery run back to addictions, run back to abuse, and back to small living. I love that. And then he gets into the story of us found in the scriptures written thousands of years ago. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. God parted the Red Sea. God led them supernaturally. But every time the journey got hard, they said, let's go back to Egypt. And I have to remember what they were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were property. They were abused and used. What would make you want to go back to that? And then Mike writes, fear. Fear makes us do all kinds of stupid things. And the only antidote I've found for crippling fear is courage. Courage in my life has been birthed out of seeing and remembering how God has met me, delivered me over and over and over. And I love that. I love Uh, that sense of, there's a sense of seeing and remembering when you're caught in fear, when you want to go back to what's familiar, back into the slavery that at least is familiar and away from that fear. Uh, It's good to remember that I've been here before. Uh, God delivered me before and I can make it out of here again, but I do need to stop and remember. My friend Steph wrote this, fear is forgetfulness. It takes over when I forget who I am and who God is. I fight it most effectively when I pause and remember. We're going to get into that a little later on when, when I get to some helpful responses to fear. But I think, Steph, that is so good. That is so good. I fight it most effectively when I pause and remember. Alex says, fear tells me I'm not good enough, that I shouldn't bother trying. And ironically, it often motivates me to prove fear wrong. Way to go, Alex. Uh, Me too. Fear tells me I'm not good enough. Fear tells me who are you to think that you can put that book out, that podcast out, that blog out. Who who are you to think anyone will care what you have to say? Uh, That's something I deal with often. So yes, I shouldn't even bother trying, fear says. I'm with you, Alex. That is often what motivates me to prove fear wrong. So let's talk a little bit about, just for a couple of minutes, about the science of fear The amygdala is the part of your brain that handles your emotions, and it actually stores memories associated with sensory stimuli. So if if the smell of your parents' house reminds you of all the conflict, your amygdala will store the negative memories associated with that conflict, and, and it will associate it with especially the sensory stimuli that was happening around you in that moment. So that's why every time you go back to your parents' house for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it is, that even and nothing even is happening, no conflict is happening, 
just the sights and smells of being in your parents' house can trigger an emotional response and your adrenaline can start kicking in. Cortisol will start flooding your body. Adrenaline will start flooding your body. And your body will actually start preparing itself for conflict. The amygdala is much more likely to store negative memories versus positive ones because the negative ones, the brain is trying to sort out what is happening and sort out, do, do is this a situation where you need to get ready to run away or where you get or where you need to get ready to fight there's a phrase that author daniel goleman uh, coined in his book emotional intelligence and the phrase is the amygdala hijack and he defines that as and i quote the immediate and overwhelming emotional response out of proportion to the stimulus because it has triggered a more significant emotional threat. So that's why when you're sitting at your own dinner table with your own kids and the slightest hint of conflict is in the air, if you had conflict at your table growing up, if the table was a time where your dad pounded the fist and made sure you got in line, every hint of any hint of conflict or even sitting down at a table can trigger an emotional response for you and it can trigger cortisol and adrenaline to flow into your body. Your body is getting ready for a fight or is getting ready to run away and that is exhausting. If you have authority issues and you have some pain associated with authority issues, every time your boss knocks on the door and says, hey, you got a sec? That flood that you get, that immediately flush, flush cheeks that you get when your eyes widen, that's actually your amygdala kicking in and hijacking other parts of your body, your digestive system, your ovulation, your logical responses, uh, your conscious thoughts, your sensory perception is immediately taken over by the amygdala because it's getting ready to protect you. Do you need to run or do you need to fight? This is why in traffic, is it, have you ever kind of uh, absentmindedly been driving and then maybe you cut someone off and they get super angry at you and they pass you and they shout at you. You can tell they're shouting at you through the closed window. They're waving their arms around at you. And instead of that just sort of being this, oh man, my bad, uh, you have this flush of shame you have this wash of adrenaline. You can actually feel it in your body. That's because, now, who cares that that person, I mean, they're just going to drive by, hopefully. Uh, they're not going to stop and do something more, but they're just going to drive by and be mad at you. But the reason why that stays with you and the reason why you can't shake that is because your amygdala has hijacked the other parts of your brain and body and is telling you it's actually shutting down your logical thinking, your conscious thinking, and your sensory perception, and any other part of your body that is not necessary. All the blood is flowing to your legs and flowing to your arms so that you can either run or fight. This is what the fight or flight trigger is. This is way back to caveman times when the caveman wakes up in the morning, stretches, goes to maybe pick some flowers for his cave girl wife, 
and all of a sudden there's a tiger sitting right there next to him. His eyes go wide, the amygdala takes over, and he decides, am I going to fight this tiger or am I going to run? Uh, we are descendants of everyone who survived. So we are mostly descendants of the runners. And the amygdala in that moment is going to shut down the part of your brain called the neocortex. That's the part which is in charge of logical thinking, conscious thoughts, and sensory perception. And it is going to make you uh, survive. And again, that's by fighting or running. And um, the interesting thing here is that your adrenaline, the adrenaline that washes through your body right there, the cortisol that washes through your body, that sticks around for four hours. So you can actually have an adrenaline and cortisol hangover. And if you, if, if, if you can imagine, if this happens to you over and over and over again over the course of a day or a week, even in your dreams, if you're experiencing anxiety and fear, to the degree you're experiencing this, your body is being absolutely overwhelmed with adrenaline and cortisol. And you are uh, constantly experiencing a hangover because of it. Your sympathetic nervous system is on red line. This is the part of your nervous system that is responsible for fight or flight. What we need to do from a scientific standpoint is find a way for the parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for rest and digestion, to start getting some action in your body. So the question we have to ask on this good word is how can we retrain ourselves to stop and move to rest and digest when we are actually overreacting? to uh, certain stimuli that actually is not, uh, there's no need for us to either fight or run. We need to retrain the brain. We need to create some new neural pathways so that we are no longer uh, constantly getting overwhelmed and bombarded with uh, cortisol and adrenaline. So there is a way to use fear. There's a way to use fear to retrain our brain. Now, I'm going to define fear. I've, I've been thinking about this for several days now. Here's my definition of fear. Fear is the real or imagined threat that something precious is going to be taken away from you. Fear is the real or imagined threat that something precious is going to be taken away from you. Now, there's a part of fear that you can be grateful for. The fear, do you ever, I mean, women, okay, do you ever get that sense that a certain guy is not safe and you just meet him for the first time and you just kind of get a tingling, intuitive sensation, this guy is not safe, so you cut off the conversation, you walk away. I think sometimes you need to say thank you to that fear that protected you from hanging around with that guy because he probably was not safe. Uh, my mom, when she was a little kid, she, that was back in the time where they had, you know, the the electric train tracks, and if you stepped on them, you'd be immediately uh, electrocuted, and there was no fences around those. It was back in the days where, you know, in the in the fifties, where there was not a lot of that kind of safety thinking. And her mom shouted out, "Claudia!" and she froze with her uh, leg perched over that railroad track. 
flooded with adrenaline and cortisol, fear, because her mom yelled out her name in such an excruciatingly loud voice. Fear saved her. So there is a sense at times of saying thank you to that fear response, because sometimes it's because something, there is a real threat that something precious is gonna be taken away from you. When that caveman uh, is out there picking the flowers for his wife and he sees the tiger, here is the deal. Uh, He and he runs and he gets away from that tiger and he lives another day, that is good. That is good that he has gotten uh, saved. But uh, as as Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Big Magic says, who I love, Uh, She says, fear is okay. Fear can be present with you. You need to acknowledge it. You can't demolish it. You can't just like knock fear in the face and punch fear in the face and say, no fear, I'm not gonna be afraid. Fear is a part of our lives that we need to deal with. But she says, fear just can't be driving the car. Fear certainly can't be picking the radio station. Fear needs to sit in the back seat and you need to tell fear what to do. So for me, uh, I, I I thought for a while, what are my common fear triggers? And honestly, uh, so I'm a, I'm a pastor and I deal with people a lot and that's good, but I'm also an introvert. And so I, I get recharged by being alone, by reading, by collecting myself, but I also love people. And so I'm not one of these, uh, you know, I don't hate people, but um, I tend to feel threatened by people that they're going to take something from me that I don't have to give and they're gonna demand something from me that I don't have to give, but I'm gonna try to give it anyway. And then, uh, and even if they think I did give it, if I try to give something that I don't really have, it's gonna exhaust me. So when I get an email from someone and and they say, hey, can we talk? There's something I wanna talk about. Uh, Can we get together? And they don't tell me what it is. My response is fear. And I wanna fight. I wanna say, uh, I don't have time or, because uh, I'm afraid that they're going to confront me about something. I'm, 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 I'm afraid a conflict is about to happen. And so I kind of want to run away from that. I want to not make time for that. I want to pretend that I don't have energy for that. Um, and so emails for me, sometimes I, I get the trigger. I get the fear trigger. I get the amygdala response. I want to I run or fight. Uh, because I grew up stuttering, and I was stuttered massively until I was about 13 or 14, it kind of gradually faded out. I'll probably do another podcast uh, about that, Uh, anything regarding my voice, any criticism regarding my voice, any even healthy criticism regarding my preaching, uh, you know, this podcast, my writing uh, is, uh, I I interpret that unless I really, really think hard about it. I interpret it uh, as bigger than it actually is. I interpret it as as, as a direct attack against my selfhood and against my personhood. And I want to run or fight. That's what happens to me. And, uh, you know, so any criticism regarding those kinds of things. Uh, I, and so I've, I've developed this unhealthy addiction toward perfectionism. I want to get it totally right, absolutely right. I want to get it right the first time. I want to be flawless. And that is absolutely ridiculous. First of all, no one likes a flawless person. Second of all, it's impossible to do anything perfect. Third of all, even if you could do something perfect, what would be the fun in that? No one could relate to that. Uh, And fourth of all, anytime, most of the time, the people that love me that are trying to uh, speak a word of criticism toward me, they're they're doing it if they love me so that I can be better. But I have this fear, the response that makes me want to flight or fight, run or fight. So how do we begin to change these neural pathways? 
And this is where I think my friend Steph's advice uh, really pays off well. She says, I forget who I am, I forget who God is, so I fight it most effectively when I pause and remember. So I wonder if the first step is to simply recognize when you're triggered by fear. Recognize when you're having an amygdala hijack. Maybe for you, it's that shame wash. You get a prickly feeling all the way down your back. Your legs go weak all of a sudden. Your face goes flushed. Uh, you're, you can't think clearly all of a sudden. Have you ever, you ever noticed that? Uh, when you can't think clearly, when you don't know how to put a sentence together, or when you, you ever talk to that kind of person who so flusters you that you don't even know what to say, you feel sort of uh, in a fog, that is actually because the amygdala has taken over your neocortex. Your neocortex, again, that's what uh, allows you to think consciously, have logical thoughts, and that allows you to perceive the senses correctly. But when you're in that fog, you can't think clearly. So just think clearly, just think clearly is not gonna help. What you need to do is stop and recognize where you're triggered. I've actually been in situations with people who are triggered. I was in this situation about two months ago, and this person actually said, hey, can we stop right now? I'm just being triggered. And um, he got up and he got something else to eat. And he said, can we go take a walk? And then I'm freaked out because like, what did I do? And he was so gracious. He said, hey, don't worry about it. It wasn't you. It's just, I got triggered. Um, and I was so grateful that he said that, that he had the courage to say that. And it gave me the courage. Sometimes if I'm in a conversation to say, can we just stop for a second? Uh, I don't really know why, but I'm I'm being triggered right now and I'm feeling kind of anxious. So can we just stop? I need to maybe take a moment. And maybe someone will think you're ridiculous if that's your boss. Maybe, I don't know if you can do that or not, but if, if it's a friend, hopefully you can do that. So the first step is just to recognize when and how you're triggered, stop and actually breathe. Breathing reconnects you to the parasympathetic nervous system which again is responsible for resting and digesting. The sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. But the parasympathetic nervous system, it calls you back to rest. And when you breathe deeply, that immediately switches you back over and lets the neocortex uh, click back in so you can do some conscious thinking. And you can ask yourself, am I in real danger here? Like, do I need to leave this conversation? Do I need to run? Do I need to get out of this relationship? Do I need to stop going here? Do I need to not uh, do this thing that I'm doing right now? And then maybe ask, what am I afraid is gonna be taken away from me? So like when your kids are absolutely driving you crazy, when they're not listening to you, when they're um, fighting constantly and, and your, your amygdala is totally hijacking you and you're yelling at your kids and you're not being logical at all, there something you're afraid that something is going to be taken away from you maybe it's your personhood honestly who am i beyond being a parent i will never be a normal human being again that has normal conversations and normal a normal life normal rhythms of rest and activity normal thinking uh, you know thinking that I, I just i want to go to my next numbing activity uh, you are in an amygdala hijack and you need to stop see how you're triggered See if you can take a five-minute break, a two-minute break. See if you're in real danger or not. See what you're afraid is going to be taken away from you. And then how do you want to respond is what you need to say and what do you need. And I know that, the, like parents, there are certain ages of kids. You, when, you're, when your kid is one and a half, you can't walk away. But when your kids are five or six, you really can say, 
hey, dad needs a little break right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into this room and I'm gonna shut the door. I'm gonna be back in five minutes, but I need a break and you are not to come in here. Unless you are on fire, unless um, your bone has just been broken, you will not come in this room. I need a moment and you really can do that. In a conversation at work, you can say, hey, can I get back to you in five minutes? I actually need to think this one through and I feel like I just need a little clean space. Would you mind if I just you know, took, took five minutes? You can actually do that. So uh, recognize where you're being triggered. Stop, breathe. Try to ascertain, am I in real danger or not? Most of the time, again, the amygdala hijack, the definition is immediate and overwhelming emotional response out of proportion to the stimulus because it has triggered a more significant emotional threat. And most often that more significant emotional threat is tied all the way back to uh, your parents, a memory that you have that was really, really stressful and where you were really in danger but you're not in danger anymore. And then uh, what am I afraid is gonna be taken away from me? This is probably something you might need to journal about. This might be something you need to talk to a friend about or a therapist about. What am I afraid is gonna be taken away from me if, if this thing that is threatening me eats me? <laughs> For example, if this tiger eats me and knocks me down. Um, and then how do I wanna respond? I think this will take time because in the moment, again, if your amygdala is taking over, you can't even answer that question. But after you've taken a moment, after you've breathed a little bit, before you send that response email, and again, you ever sent one of those emails that's like, you do not want to send this. Like if it's if you're if you're writing an email and your amygdala is in charge, you do not want to send that email. And you know when you're writing an email and your amygdala is in charge. Just make yourself a pact. I will not send amygdala emails. No more amygdala emails. Put a little sign on your computer, a little post-it note with amygdala emails and then one of those little, you know, crossing out circles with a with a uh, perpendicular cross out on it. You know what I mean? Uh, do that. And then what do I need? Because you do, you, you, you are going to need to breathe and let that parasympathetic nervous system uh, sort of bring you back to rest. You might need to have a cup of tea, honestly. You might need to just breathe in and out deeply for a minute. You might need to take a five-minute walk. You might need to set some new boundaries. You might need to decide, uh, this is okay, kids. This is okay, uh, boss, to respond to me. This is not okay, and you might need to just do some of that hard work of boundaries and rethinking how you want to live your life in those moments. Lastly, I think for me lately, it's been helpful to do a little mantra. And the mantra comes out of uh, a Bible verse, actually, in the book of Acts. And it's just simply this, in him we live and move and have our being. And the hymn there is the Christ, the cosmic power of the universe that put everything in motion in the first place. The, the Christ is the one that holds the universe together. The Christ is the one that empowers all living things. The Christ is the one that redeems us, forgives us, sustains us. The Christ is the cosmic Lord of the universe. And I know that word Lord is funky, but if you can imagine the one that will make all things right and make all things new, including your amygdala hijack. So in him, we live and move and have our being, and you're having that amygdala hijack, what if that mantra became the instinctual response that you had? In him we live and move and have our being. The word live in the Greek is zao. I'm going to put this on the show notes, so don't worry about writing it down. It means to be among the living, not the dead. And I think when we're 
living in the amygdala response, when we're living in the amygdala, monkey brain, lizard brain, whatever you want to call that, uh, and the cortisol and adrenaline is flowing so hardcore, uh, we are not among the living, we're among the dead. So honestly, there's no way to live. In the Christ, we zao, we are among the living, and move, kineo, where we get our word kinetic, what it means to be set in motion, to move or remove. So in the Christ, we, uh, we move, we are set in motion. We're no longer stuck. We're no longer paralyzed. We're no longer have to live according to the amygdala hijack. In him, we move away from those stressful and anxious and fearful situations and are removed from them. And in him, we move, live and move and have our being. Ami, E-I-M-I is the Greek word there. And it means to be, to exist, to be present. In him, we are able to be present in this very moment. And that, my friends, over time is the way to reorganize our brain, to connect some, to make some new neural pathways so that the parasympathetic nervous system can be more and more in charge so we can be the people that we want to be more and more connected to God, connected to each other, connected to joy and freedom. Uh, that way fear can be in the car, but not driving the car. Can I get an amen on that? So fear, my brothers and sisters, does not have to drive the car. Fear does not have to uh, limit us to being a pile of emotion and response that we can't uh, even um, manage. Fear, we can use these emotional responses to be transformed into a whole different way of living. If we stop and remember that it is in the Christ that we live and move, and have our being, that we can be among the living, not the dead, that we can be set in motion to move and be removed from unhealthy situations, that we can be present, that we can exist right here, right now in the moment, and we don't have to be hijacked by fear. So as I always do, I want to leave by what's blowing my mind, and it really is a book. It was just released this Tuesday. It's by a guy called Seth Haynes, and it's called Coming Clean. It's his beautiful and raw story of deciding that he was an addict, he was an alcoholic, and the book is 90 Days of Journaling about his sobriety. And it really is honest, it's beautiful, and in it, I don't care if you're an alcoholic or if you're addicted to busyness, if you're addicted to approval, if you're addicted to being the hero, to being admired, whatever it is for you, what I'm finding is this book is providing some hooks for me to hang uh, my own struggles on, my own fear on. And it's written in such a personal way. I highly encourage you, get this book, download it on Kindle, order it. You can get it on anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, whatever, wh wherever you like to, to shop. I'm going to put a link to it in my show notes. So check it out there. And remember, my book release party is December 11th. You can get that on my show notes. And if you want to pre-order my book, Beginnings, please do that. It'll be on my show notes at steveweens.com. Just check out the show notes for this episode, episode 10 of This Good Word, and the word is fear. Okay, everybody, 
grace and peace. I want to say the mantra, as I always do, of this podcast. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are holy and we are human and we are in it together. We'll see you next week, my friends.